Hello and welcome back to the podcast. I'm Michael. I'm Noah. And we are the Knights of Entertainment, a podcast covering your favorite and unknown movies, games, comic books, anime, and more weekly. We appreciate you being here and hope you enjoy the show. This is what we are covering tonight. Uh, tonight we are going over a recap for season two of Overlord, continuing last week's podcast on it. You said uh, unknown uh, comic books uh, in one of those, right? Yes. It is uh, my old ser- <laughs> Is it inside? It's an inside joke we got recently. else? It's a panel you got. Look it up, Spider Man. You'll find it eventually. So fucking random. But before we do, like, share, and subscribe to the channel. You can enjoy the show on YouTube, Spotify, Rumble, Odyssey, and more. We also have membership tiers on those platforms if you'd like to support the channel, or you can check out buymeacoffee.com forward slash KOE podcast. Alrighty, last week, uh, recap of season one, this week, recap of season two of Overlord. Uh, we are going in order the same as last time. How many episodes is this one? I got 13? 13. Cool. Yeah, they're all 13. I love when a show has, like, it's it, it, it's my OCD, I guess. <laughs> when it has to be an even set of, like, every, like every season has to be the, the same set of show, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So when it's, like, 18, 18, 18, 9, uh, eight, I'm like, what? Well, nine, what? You know what I mean? So it really bothers you with One Piece where there's no season? <laughs> Not really, because it's like there's no season, so okay. one episode. Or, but like like some shows, when it's like uh, like Supernatural, right? Yeah, it changed a lot. It changed a lot. And then like the writer's strike in some of them, like it dropped a lot of episodes. Yeah, I remember that. I'm like, oh. It just, it just, and then South Park? In South Park, because it, it, uh, it like, it, uh, it was like 14, like it was like a random episode's for like a few seasons. Yeah. Then they set on 14, 14, 14, 14, 14, 14. Then it was like 10, 10, 10, 10. Now it's like, like six. six. It's six. Now it's going to be like four. <laughs> I guess because like, it's, it's uh, not like in between. Yeah. Like it's coming down. Like, you know, that's by, it feels better. Yeah. But when it's like, you know, like 17, 12, 11, 21, 17, 17, 17, 9, 17, 17. I'm like, no, no. <laughs> it throws your OCD off. It does mine too. So I know. Uh, every season of Overlord, though, is 13. How many seasons are there? Four. So it's, even, it's still an even number. Yeah. That's <laughs> uh, uh, what? 26, that's uh, 52 episodes? My math's not too good. <laughs> no, it is. It's 52. Okay. <laughs> I was looking at you. It's like, does he realize he's right? Or... <laughs> yeah, I, was, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. I math's too fast. I almost passed out. <laughs> So uh, for some people that follow it as uh, a, a straight series, the way they do One Piece, it'd be uh, episode 14 for the normal people. It's episode one of season two mm-hmm. is the way they set it up. So uh, we start off in the Slain Theocracy. Uh, title of the episode, by the way, is The Dawn of Despair. Sounds uh, hopeful. <laughs> so in the Slain Theocracy, uh, which is the uh, the... The country from which those uh, warriors in the first season came to kill the head warrior of this, that country. Uh, the captain of the Black Scripture, which is like their elite hidden attack squad, basically. In Leaf uh, Is it the Anubis? <laughs> uh, Black Scripture. Uh, and Zeshi Zetsmuchi. I'm sorry. Zetsmuchi. If I could even talk. Zeshi Zetsumi. Let's just say that the uh, the, the time skip we've had for daylight saving time is really fucking with us. It's late, but it's not, if that makes any sense. 
So we start off with the captain of the Black Scripture and Zeshi discussing the mystery of Einzel Gon for his growing celebrity as a magic caster and a recent vampire attack which killed two scripture members and severely wounded Lady Kari. Uh, Kari? Yeah, Kari. Uh, basically, uh, whenever um, Shelter Bloodfallen uh, attacked the person that you used that world item on her, yeah. the Lady uh, Lady Kare was from the Black Scripture. So she's already attacked one of the Black Scripture members and basically mortally wounded her. Wow. So that's what they're talking about as they see there's this uh, new magic caster named Einzel Gon, and then there's this vampire that they never knew the name of or anything like that. But it's literally part of the same yields. Okay. So it's Einzel Gon subordinate. <laughs> but they think of them as two separate entities, basically. That little, like, detective situation, like, we gotta figure out what's going on. <laughs> yeah. So Zeshi, uh, which is a godkin in this, so uh, we'll find out later on that uh, th there were other people that were sucked into this world that exists now. So there are other people? At one point there was. Oh, before? Right. So is there ever other people, or is it just uh, that one guy? Just him, as far as we know. So then I'm guessing he just had a, he just fell into a coma. That's only that makes sense. If it's just him, but you know what I mean? It's just perfectly set up for him. Well, uh, there's a bunch of theories on why the other, like the NPCs, were drug along with him. One of them is that the throne that's in the uh, Nazarek, the guild hall that they have, it's uh, there's a world item that is a throne, and it apparently has control over the entire uh, Nazarek. So they think that whenever he was pulled in to this new world while sitting on that throne, it brought everything else along with the guild hall with him, because it was a world item. So that stuff in there, what about the stuff on the outside world? It's it, all new. It new to him? It's all new to him. That's a good Come theory. That's a logical theory. Yeah. But they haven't, in, in the, even in the uh, the light novels, they haven't uh, verified it or disproven it yet. Yeah. So, so we have Zeshi. Uh, she expresses intrigue in Ions as she sees a man capable of defeating her so as to sire for, uh, for her a more powerful child. So that does sound like uh, Genghis Khan's daughter. Yeah. She, uh, if anything, the, the first man I can meet her will marry me. And she died of her. Because <laughs> she just used to whip some ass. Yeah, because uh, she basically wants to uh, to bone him. Yeah. And he has bones, so there is no bone. <laughs> so rip one off and go to town. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, in another location, the former adventurer Rigrit of the original 13 heroes and the Platinum Dragon Lord discussed the possibility that a dark and powerful player from Yggdrasil may have arrived in this new world. So they assume even, that, that is what gives credence to say that there was people that came from this game before, mm -hmm. is that they know what Yggdrasil is, which was this game, but they think it was a different world. And they, these people were sucked into theirs. So... They don't consider it a game per se because their mental state doesn't know what a game is. Exactly. But they assume it's from a different dimension, these people. Yes. They think they're gods that have come to this yeah. world, basically. Or at least super strong creations. Hmm. Um, in the Riestes kingdom, Gaz of Stronoff, which is the person that we met last season, uh, is with the king and the nobles of the kingdom deciding to bring the annual war to Baharuth, which is the neighboring uh, country. And the king apologizes for not having sent full support for the events of Carne Village, which Gaza Finn uh, Einzelgon took, uh, took care of. Uh, after a brief visit by Princess Rainier and her squire, Climb, the king uh, asks Gazif to request a meeting with Einzelgon to show his gratitude for saving Gazif. 
After Ainz finishes a job as Momon, he returns to Nazarene to give a debriefing to Albedo. Uh, simply ecstatic at his return. Like, where she's doing that whole thing of like, Oh my god, Master, you're back. The waifu stuff, basically. Hello? <laughs> yes. Uh, on <laughs> Of what uh, he has learned in relation to the notable nation-states in the known world in proximity to Nazarick's position on the map. Aura, uh, overseeing the construction of a, de a, de a decoy replica of Nazarick. So they're building another whole location that's a decoy at this point. Because they know that there's people that can attack them now. But they don't know how strong they are. So it's like, ah, we'll go ahead and create a fake version of our guild, basically. Only out of wood instead of a tomb that they have right now. The Nazis did that once. <laughs> they uh, they built a uh, a fake uh, military base mm -hmm. that they thought the, uh, the Allies would bomb. Yeah. And the Allies uh, knew about it, so they dropped uh, fake... Uh, the fake uh, bombs on them with like like I, I don't know if I inside said like cuss words in German or something. Yeah, but like it, it's just a waste of time for both sides. <laughs> um, she's re she receives a gift from Ainz in the form of a talking wristwatch with the voice of her creator, Lady Buku Buku Chagama. Says a mouthful, dictating the lunch hour because it says uh, it's lunchtime, and since she's like a little kid, it's like. Where did you get that watch? From uh, Ein's. How, how advanced is the world? And sometimes it's like... It was one of those kind of uh, cash shop items. Yeah, so he paid pay to play. One of those things. Oh, so he'd get any play items? Yeah. That motherfucker. He, pretty much. To where it can basically set uh, times. It's literally like just an alarm watch for your, for the game. Cool. But he has her voice programmed in it. Because it was hers at one point, but she gave it to him before the game was supposed to end, basically. Uh, meanwhile, Shaltier, guilt-ridden guilt -ridden by her mind-control attack of Ainz, drinks herself into stupor while Eclair, which is a penguin, Sebus, is an uh, assistant butler, fails to try to cheer her up. Kokaitis is sent to start a war with the lizard men that they have just found out about and claim the fallen for a latter army of undead. In the village of the Lizardmen, Greenclaw tribe chieftain Shatsryu uh, discusses daily life with his younger brother Zaryusu when a monster entity comes out of the clouds. So this basic, like, uh, gigantic black orb of, like, faceless, uh, like, just faces on a black orb <laughs> comes out of the sky. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how the first episode ends. <laughs> so we have Kokaida starting a war. And it's like, it's going to be real bad today. <laughs> It's gonna be bad. It's gonna be very bad. We gotta go. We gotta face it. Or we're coming down. <laughs> Cancel rate ninety percent. And they live in uh, the lizard men live in kind of a um, a very nomadic, not nomadic, uh, primitive like world. They live in a swamp with like uh, straw topped uh, like huts and stuff like that. Yeah, but they're not uh, they're not incompetent. Like, they actually, they have warriors, they have people that are somewhat smarter, like sages and stuff like that. So, we go into episode two, called Departure. Uh, we start off with the dark entity that we met at the end of the last episode, which is descending from the sky, is a herald forewarning the lizard men of the, uh, the Green Claw tribe of an invasion in eight days' time. Zaryusu advises an alliance with the other lizard men tribes, uh, Small Fang, Razor Tail, Dragon Tusk, and Red Eye. But as Dra Dragon Tusk has survivors of defeated 
uh, tribes Yellow Speckle and Sharp Edge. These are all names of their tribes. And it, to be honest, it's not all that important <laughs> to remember all the names. Uh, there is little hope, little to no hope of alliance with them. Zaryusu is permitted by his brother the Chieftain to be the envoy to seek an alliance with the other tribes, though. Reaching the Red Eye tribe, Zaryusu meets uh, Crush Lulu, the interim chief slash priestess of the village. Enamored by her, because she has pale skin, like she has pure white skin instead of like a normal lizard men's green or darkish uh, maroon color skin. So she's completely different. She's albino, basically. <laughs> and he's already, like, smitten with her. Told you. <laughs> Where you live in a homogenous society. <laughs> well, you like that strategy? Yeah. Uh, enamored by her, he instinctively lets out a mating cry desire, desiring to marry her. Oh, shit. <laughs> hey, girl, what them titties <laughs> there? just yells at, what them titties there? <laughs> it's, it's screech, so yeah. <laughs> like a lizard. That's probably what he said <laughs> in their language. <laughs> After an awkward start, the two discuss an alliance and reach a consensus. Uh, planning to uh, build an alliance, Zaryusu and Crush uh, arrive at the Dragon Tusk village and meet the chieftain, Zinburu. Zinburu Gugu is his name. And he's a gigantic lizardman, basically. Mr. Gugu, please. <laughs> this is a serious conversation. And they have also received the Herald's uh, message, but will only join the alliance if Zaryusu can prove his worth in combat. So they fight, and uh, Crush basically kills both of them after their little fight. Uh, Zaryusu has a sword that's in the shape of a claw, almost. That's a uh, frost sword, what he calls it anyway. Mm -hmm. And uh, he uses it basically as a shield, so every time the, uh, uh, Mr. Gugu hits him, <laughs> he hits the sword, but he gets frost damage every time he does. So eventually the fight ends because his arm starts freezing over, basically. Mm -hmm. Crush heals both of them, and then we head back. It's an interesting weapon for a lizard. They're warm-blooded, aren't they? Yeah. Cold-blooded? Cold-blooded, usually. They, they need more heat than normal? Yeah. Nice idea. Huh? A very good idea. Sounds like a me type of move. <laughs> uh, we go back to Nazarick, and Demiurge is talking to uh, with Eclair, the penguin, that has swirled hair, which is hilarious looking. <laughs> uh, and it is revealed both are aware of Eclair's hidden agenda, agenda to assert Nazarick's throne. As uh, <laughs> as that was the design of Ankoro Mochimochi, his creator. As a decoy replica of Nazarik is under construction, Kokaitis is informed by his subordinates of Demiurge's scroll mission and the need to report regularly. Kokaitis takes this news and readies his army for the coming war in a few days. And it's uh, basically whenever Demiurge meets with the uh, with Eclair, it's more of like a, a joke to them. Like, uh, the one thing that you learn, it doesn't necessarily show it in the anime, but in the light novel, is that even the characters that are, like, comedy characters, nobody disrespects them within that guild, or within the the, um, the Great Hall of Nazarek, because they were all created by their supreme beings, so they don't look down on any of their fellow uh, Nazarek residents as inferior, even if they look at them like, you're, you're weak, but... They don't disrespect them because it would be an insult to their creators. So they try not to. So uh, Eclair in his flavor text, it was that he would oh, he will eventually usurp the throne. <laughs> and he's just a little penguin that can't do anything. <laughs> uh, that's how episode two ends. <clears throat> Next we go into episode three called Lizardmen Gathering. So we have Zinburu. Uh, he's fighting Zar uh, Zaryusu. So we're showing this battle at this point. And they wager the role of the chief and crush for a mate. During this fight, 
Zaryusu realizes his physical strength is less than Zenburu, but he uses Frostpain, which is the name of the sword. So it's actually a name sword. Frostpain? Frostpain. Frostpain, I like you. <laughs> yeah. A magic item to freeze Zenburu uh, with each attack, causing Zenburu to yield, realizing that he cannot keep fighting an item, which will kill him as he fights. Yeah. Really how it works. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, the group parties uh, to discuss the alliance, and Dragon Tusk joins in. Heading to the Razortail tribe, the first attack site of the Herald's message, uh, Shasryu greets the trio, and everyone gathers for a scout uh, for a scout report uh, that uh, shows the odds uh, are against them, and that their forces are three to one. So Kakaida says, three to one, get one more, and then you can might have a chance. Yeah, I can take four to one. And I think it's three to one in the lizard men's favor. Hmm. So Kakaidas views on a crystal monitor. I would probably just uh lizard men, let's see. A three to one. Yeah. What uh what season is it? Uh it would probably be summerish, spring. Summer spring. Because uh, they're out of the battlefield. Swamp. Swampland. We can't do that. So I'd probably have to burn it down to get them to come out. Uh, after that, I'd probably make him attack me. I'd retreat back to my, uh, walled fort if I have a way to get supplies. I wait till winter. They, they don't like the cold, so... <laughs> Checkmate check on that one. <clears throat> so he's viewing him basically on a, a, a screen, a magic crystal screen. A tablet? Yeah. <laughs> Is that a tablet? <laughs> kind of, yeah. <laughs> but just more magic. Yeah. <laughs> um... Uh, the lizard men put up a moderate resistance until the five chiefs use their magic caster abilities to quickly summon swamp elementals. Intima informs Lord Ainz, who views the situation with the battle as unexpected. So he didn't expect him to even put up a fight at all. Kokaitis messages Demiurge for insight. Because he's like, I can't win. What do I do? <laughs> uh, the latter... Good. <laughs> Demiurge... Uh, informing him to think for himself as to how to ration and deploy troops against the lizard men, as it may be uh, the undisclosed wish of Lord Ainz for Kakaitis to learn something. So basically, he's saying that uh, Demiurge tells him that it might not be uh, Ainz's goal for Kokaitis to win it, but to think for himself about battle plans, which is something that these NPCs haven't really ever had to do. Also, it's a waste of manpower and resources just to teach him a lesson. Yeah, but they're all just summoned basic skeletons so it's nothing super crazy that they're using nothing that would deplete their forces at all not at all <laughs> like at all it, it's stuff that Einzel gun could probably raise within like five minutes but everybody like looks at it in awe Kokaitis uh, orders an elder lich caster commander into the fight tearing down resistance with relative ease Seeing their chance to enter the fight Zaryusu sacrifices his steed the hydra snake Roro. 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 R O R O R O. Oh, wow. Roro. <laughs> I didn't make up that name. <laughs> That's a, it's real hard to pronounce, too. Roro. Roro. To get in close to the Lich to fight alongside Crush and Zinburu, who are later rendered inca incapacitated, leaving Zaryusu to muster what strength he has left to trap himself with and the older Lich in a massive ice cage, which he uses with that frost pane. So that's a, that's a good weapon there. Yeah. 
uh, after much uh, pain and many attacks, Zaryusu is victoriously, uh, victorious but surprised, attacking the Lich in a fog and driving his frost pain sword into the former's brain. So he stabs him straight through the eye into the head. With the Lizardmen victorious in battle, Kokaitis must answer to Ainz. Like screeching their eyes out. Yeah. And, and that's how that episode ends. So it it ends with Kokaitis meeting in front of uh, Ainz, basically, to report what had happened. Uh, episode four, Army of Death. Probably like this. <laughs> in front of my shoulder, this shit happens. <laughs> <laughs> so we start off the Lizardmen uh, celebrate their victory. Zaryusu uh, and Krush are alone in a tent blushing when Zar, uh, Zinburu barges in wondering if they're having fun. <laughs> uh, much to their shock. Uh, back in Nazarek, Ainz introduces 8th floor guardian victim <laughs> to the others. And uh, he's the character that we've covered before in the floor guardians that looks like a fetus with wings. Oh, yeah. The creepy. Yeah, the creepy one. Yeah. <laughs> to prepare for unforeseen encounters. Demiurge was successful in making higher quality scrolls using what he considers sheep beastmen or bipedal sheep. Which humans? Which turned to be yeah. yeah. Yeah, you remember I that? I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> those those combination of words I was like, that sounds familiar. Yeah. Uh Ainz promises to fulfill Shaltir's need for punishment later on. Because she's saying uh, she wants punishment basically for fucking up and uh getting mind control. Whatever you want, baby. <laughs> Uh, uh, lastly, as Kokaitis was defeated, Ainz explains he gave Kokaitis a weak army so he would learn to adapt and reapply resources as a leader. As all of Kokaitis' forces were low-tier undead, there was no risk for Nazarek. Basically, no risk that they lost any of them. But Kokaitis must face punishment. He is to eradicate the undead, uh, to eradicate the lizardmen completely by himself. Now he has to go out he there. He probably do it better by himself than he did with the army. Yes. <laughs> so Kokaitis instead asks the lizardmen to be spared into servitude of Nazarek instead of massacring them all. When I... <laughs> like Anakin Skywalker killing all the sand people? Yeah. Not just the men, but the women and children too. <laughs> uh, when Ayn uh, asks why, Demiurge steps in, proposing it could benefit them to see how governing a new people under Nazarek would work as they uh, may have to gain in the future and uh, start now would help preparing them for all the new things that they deal with trying to conquer this world. All the people we enslave, we should might as well practice before we do. Exactly. Ainz <laughs> agrees, but demands Kokaitis rule them by means without fear. So he has to try to rule them without using fear doing it. Well, that's <laughs> so. a problem. Ainz only wanted to hear Kokaitis' free opinion, demanding his guardians think over their orders so as to bring greater benefit to Nazarek. After departing, Demir states to the guardians that Ainz intended for all of this, wishing they learn to be more independent in their goal for conquest, and Kokaitis' mission was also a probe of the Lizardmen. So basically, Demir is giving Ainz Olgon more benefit of the doubt than he needed, because Ainz did not... Didn't for anything to go this way. <laughs> but Demiurge, thinking that he's an intelligent being, fills in the gaps basically for him and gives his whole uh, speech about it. Uh, in his bedroom, uh, Ainz is happy his guardians are learning to evolve and also notices a fa uh, familiar floral scent because Albedo's been laying in his bed when he's been gone <laughs> with a body pillow. He can smell with his skeleton man face. Yeah. I remember that's one of the ways that he found out that he was actually in a different world. 
since there was a sense of smell wow, on yeah. uh, The next day, the Guardians and Ainz himself returned to the battlefield in a grand show of force, freezing the lake, and then uh, one of the floor Guardians, Gargantua, twice the height of the forest, which I showed you in that picture before, a long time ago, mm-hmm. where he stands up way past the height of the, t- the chops of the trees. Yeah. There was a massive stone in the center of the lake, and the undead perform a royal procession for Ainz to sit atop the stone and speak before the lizardmen. Ladies and gentlemen, can you hear me? <laughs> when the uh, when the uh, Shasa brothers act as representatives, Demiurge uses controller magic to have them bow properly before Ainz's decree. Uh, Kokaitis will arrive in four hours' time to fight them on his own. If they win, they're forever free of Nazarek. And if they lose, which we all know is going to happen, uh, the five tribe leaders discuss sitting only themselves, with Crush staying behind and leading. As she argues against this, the tribe leaders leave Zaru- uh, Zaryusu to talk with her. They both accept that they will be dead, and Crush demands Zaryusu impregnate her to preserve their love. Crush. Which, uh, <laughs> I just in the, uh, the fake Nazarene. And they're like, let's check in on the lizard men. Where, where's the albino one? And where's the other guy? And they zoom in. <laughs> they're in there. I'm just fucking away, huh? <laughs> and he closes it out really fast. He's like, the two twins didn't need to see that. <laughs> Aura and Mare. Probably freaks him. Especially the thigh high one. <laughs> You play super shy and then a freak. Yeah. <laughs> Women do that a lot where they play all uh, dainty and innocent. And this is a boy, so. <laughs> Wearing thigh high. I stand with my stake. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how uh, episode four ends. Then we go into episode five. The Freezing God is the title. So the Lizardmen champions, the uh, Shasha brothers, Zinburu, with Kyukuzuzu. Uh, Kasukyu Jang, bro. That guy needs to come up with some names. Just like, just give us some, you know, some names. Don't just put letters together. <laughs> to be fair, you really don't ever see Kyukuzuzu or Kasukyu Juju ever. Jesus Christ. You don't really have to learn their names too much. Uh, they prepare for battle, though, with Kokaitis. <laughs> uh, during this preparation, Ainz and his guardians enter a uh, temporary base of operations while Victim guards the first floor as they are out. Uh, upon seeing a makeshift throne for himself by his guardians, made out of a bunch of skulls and stuff like that, he's like, some of those are human people. <laughs> oh, God. He opts to use Shaltir as his chair as her due punishment. So he sits on her back when she sits on all fours. Somebody paid us to do that. <laughs> well, she starts getting horny, but... <laughs> I bet she does. I bet he does too. And so when uh, he really just finds it easy, uneasy sitting on a chair made of bones, uh, this enrages Albedo because since she's in love with him, but hyper stimulates Shaltier's pleasure. (laughs) She's a freak. It was a freak, apparently. Yeah. While observing the Lizardmen, the mirror of remote viewing stumbles upon Zaryushu and Crush having sex. Again? Well, this is the. Oh, still the same one? Yeah, yeah. Which starts the conversation, Ainz forces to be quiet. <laughs> Whatever, they're like, what are they doing? Oh, they're just, because uh, we got Demir, just like, they seem to be breeding. Ew, boy, pushes up his glass. Hey, fucking sir. <laughs> the loser men champion stand ready, and Kokaitis arrives to do battle, equipped with his floor guardian gear at this point. So, like, his legendary, uh, like, pieces of armor that he might wear, like, 
there's a like a chain thing that goes around his neck that's solid gold and stuff like that. And then he's got a super high-end sword and stuff like that. But he doesn't actually wear armor, armor, because he's a um, he's part of like the uh, like a a bug character. Why does that one solid all in suit? Blue though, but yeah, where he's got like all that fucking just yeah like armor of his own basically. Uh, <laughs> uh many of the lizard men die, leaving only Sha- the Shasha brothers to actually fight him. So basically, all he does is use his frost aura. And it basically freezes all the low-end level characters coming at him. And then he's just fighting the two brothers at that point. Uh, Kokaitis asks for their names and grants them the honor of death by his god-slaying emperor blade. Uh, repeating the fog and surprise attack maneuver, they're easily countered by uh, countered, and Shari- uh, Shashryu is killed. Later, Ainz uh, congratulates Kokaitis for his victory and summons Crush over for a deal. Report and monitor her people for any uh, signs of rebellion, and Ainz will revive Zaryushu. So basically, basically, Kokaitis killed them all, but he brings in the albino uh, priest girl to tell her this, like, okay, you spy on your own people, tell me if there's ever a rebellion, and I'll revive them. So, revive them normally, or they go undead? No, completely, really revive them. Okay. Completely. So, Crush agrees, and Ainz resurrects, uh, resurrects Zaryusu, suffering confusion and level loss uh, from the Yggdrasil resurrection function. Level loss, damn. hmm Among the villagers, who now worship him as a god. He, he basically, he resurrects that lizardman, though, in front of everybody. So they can all see, basically, his power of resurrection. Uh, after pledging uh, their fidelity, Zaryusu asks uh, for his brother and Zinburu to be returned as well. And Ainz takes it into consideration having the lizard men keep their bodies safeguarded. Tired, Zaryusu and Crush go get rest. Where it's like they basically uh, hold on to each other to walk into the to the building. Because Zaryusu can't really stand up at this point. Since he was just resurrected. Hold me up, please. <laughs> and you do find out later that uh, he does resurrect the other ones as well. Yay. So they actually do have him back. Uh, episode 6. Those who pick, those who are picked up, is the name of it. Huh. So, we go, uh, while still in the Riestes capital, Sebus, the butler, uh, goes to the Magician's Guild to purchase a spell scroll, and on his way back to the mansion that they're in, stumbles upon a brutalized young woman who, after remembering the words of his creator, uh, player Tachimi, the, the warrior, yeah, uh, takes her back to safety. Uh... The man who threw her away begs Sebus not to, uh, not to, and as he will be killed by the Eight Fingers, which is a crime syndicate for allowing uh, an asset to be taken. Sebus gives the man money to flee town as a response. Basically, this girl is, like, completely fucked. You can tell she was in, like, a brothel or something like that, and as a sex slave, Jesus. just thrown into a back alley in a trash bag. God dang. Yeah, it was, like, it was a pretty brutal. Yeah, it sounds... Like Goblin Slayer. Yeah. Level brutality. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's... Yeah. <laughs> Upon his return, though, Solution, which is one of the battle maids, the slime battle maid, uh, is taken aback by Sebus's, uh care for the young girl and having Solution heal her of all her injuries. Uh, waking up, she is fed and breaks down crying for being shown the level of kindness Sebus is, is giving at this point and revealing her name to be Tuare. 
Sebus uh, orders Solution not to inform Lord Irons, stating it will not be worth his time knowing about a meager human girl. Because you have the, the battle mate saying, shouldn't we let Lord Irons know what's going on? He's like, it's a human... It's always such a snitch. <laughs> That's basically the way he says it, too. Because he's doing it since he's like the only super high karma-leveled character in Nazari. That's got a uh, super caring personality, even though he's strict. Yeah. So it's like like his creator, he wants to help people when he can, but not if it goes against anything of Nazari. So like he's not a, um, what, like a, what would you consider it as? Uh, a person that would betray the the guild. A turncoat? Yeah. A, uh, what was his name from the Revolutionary War? God dang Benedict Arnold. Yes. Dirty motherfucker. <laughs> so, uh, let's see here. Meanwhile, uh, Gazeth, we we go back with the uh, the head warrior, Gazeth, has breakfast with Brain Unglas, the one that ran away from Shaltir in the last season, mm-hmm. uh, who is in a depressive state following his encounter with Shaltir. And Gazeth tries to help him. Out in a secluded region, Adamantite adventure team Blue Rose which is a new group that we meet. Uh, they destroy an illegal crop of drugs, basically, <laughs> used in a powerful uh, narcotic called black dust. So it's kind of like, uh, almost like a cocaine heroin. Black uh, dust? What is it? L- is it LSD? What? Yeah. PCP? God dang. <laughs> yeah. While scouting, Blue Rose uh, member Evil Eye uh, finds a parchment with code, which can lead them to the leaders of the Eight Fingers, which is the uh, crime syndicate. At the same time, the heads of the Eight Fingers discuss the crop burning and the girl's rescue by Sebus. We're losing money here. Because they also run that brothel that that girl was pulling up. At the table, Zero, head of the Eight Fingers security, promises Coco Doll, head of the slave department, that his men will return a girl to their possession. And that's how that episode ends. Man. <laughs> this is very... You're gonna lose a lot of crime here. A lot of crime scene about to get fucked up. <laughs> yes. Uh, episode 7, Blue Roses. So, as Aydin reviews the New World's finances, he finds it difficult to manage funds for the Lizardman budget and the undercover Nazarek agents. Narborel, who is with him as Nabe, comes to Aydin's in regards to the various ore samples he had uh, bought to do appraisal experiment on the exchange boxes that they have. To see which ore from these, uh, to see which ore from where yields the most gold. So basically, they're using alchemy to, like a type of magic to transmute it into something else. There's a philosopher's stone and turn lead into gold. <laughs> he gives Nabe all the money that he has left, reminding her to be covert, covert and uh, pleasant to the humans <laughs> for their covers, and silently frets on financial woes. He's like. I need money. I'm not going to work. I got bills to pay. Because he doesn't want to use Nazarek's money because it can't be used in this new world anyway. And if he did use it, they would know that he's from Nazarek and not from this new world anyway. Uh, elsewhere, Klein is given a, a sparring lesson by Gazif. And Klein is the uh, guy that protects uh, Princess Rainier. Mm-hmm. So the head warrior is given her uh, guardian, basically, the training. Uh, who informs Climb of Einzel Gone having saved his life, for the young bodyguard, uh, bodyguard to remember this. After the spar, Gazif notes to his vice chief that Climb's power cannot go past that of a gold-ranked adventurer, and he uh, and his efforts will not change that. But he can still learn from experience. 
Across the way, Gazzo sees Prince Zanuck, which is uh, the princess's brother, obviously, talking to Marcus Raven, which is a very important character later on in the series. He's a noble, basically. Marcus Raven. Yeah, Marcus Raven. And he gave him a regular name, so we remember him. Yes, if you notice, yes, he did. And Zanuck. Zanuck is an easy name to remember, too. It's like Xanax. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Xanax. <laughs> uh, likely. Uh, forming an alliance despite the kingdom factions as Raven is an opportunist. Meeting with Princess Rainier, Clime is introduced to the Blue Roses leader, uh, Lacus, Alvin, Dale, Andra. I was looking at the Alvin and the Chip ones for a second. Yeah. Just remember Lacus. Lacus? Lacus. L A K Y U S. Lacus. L A K Y U S. Mm-hmm. Easy. You, you would remember when you see a picture. That's the easiest way to know. Uh -huh. You just remember that there's a leader of Blue Rose. That's an easier one to do. Uh, along with one of Blue Rose's twin assassins, Tina. Under Rainier's guidance, they learn the code they discovered at the Black Dust Crops is really a list of locations of importance to A-Fingers in the capital city. So they find all their hidden bases, basically. That was easy. One location, not listed, is an underground brothel in the capital, and Blue Roses, uh, Blue Roses brings Climb to investigate alongside them. However, remembering a nobleman's daughter serves as one of Rainier's maids, they worry of their plans having been uncovered. Meanwhile, Sebus has Tuare, this girl that he uh, saved, serve as a maid at the manor. He and Solution are using his cover to better sell their identity, but are later found by Succulent, an eight-fingered agent and Constable Stefan Havash. You don't have to remember these. <laughs> Constable. I like his name, Stefan. Stefan Havash. I'm here to solve this crime. <laughs> I'm Stefan Havash. <laughs> uh, the two ask. Why well, he's always out of breath? Stefan Havash. Stefan Havash. <laughs> that would be so fucking weird. Havash. <laughs> the two ask for compensation for Sebus's purchasing of Tuareg, despite the anti-slave laws, so as to be pardoned for his crime, permitting Sebus two days to think over their proposal, and the two take their leave. As Sebus goes on a walk to clear his mind, Solution messages Ainz to inform him that Sebus may have been compromised. So she goes behind his back anyway and tells Ainz. And well, damn. Yeah. You fucking snitch. <laughs> Uh, episode 8 entitled A Boy's Feeling <laughs> so we have Climb the bodyguard uh, he's heading to he's heading to an inn where uh, Gargaran and Evil Eye which are members of Blue Roses uh, Gargaran is a uh, gigantic butch lady <laughs> that's a warrior <laughs> and Evil Eye is their uh, short little magician girl that they have that wears a mask over her after having lunch and informs them that their leader wants them to be ready to mobilize. As the conversation goes on, Evil Eye informs the both of them of the new Adamine type team Darkness, which is uh, Ainz and Naparel, the, the two team group anyway, uh, which is made up of the adventurers Momon and Nabe, with the wise king of the forest as their pet. Wait, that one, uh, what was it? A uh, hamster. Oh, yeah. With a snake tail. You know. Or not, it doesn't have a sentience or anything, but it's like a long green tail. Hmm. Uh, leaving Gargaran astounded by their reported feats. Climb, 
wishes to be capable of such strength, but the duo advise him to go at his own pace and not lose his humanity in the pursuit of power. Meanwhile, Brain Unglas, which is with Gazif, uh, runs errands for Gazif and goes past a crowd watching a group of drunk men assault a boy for simply bumping into them. So a bunch of assholes, basically. I'm sorry, sir. They just beat the hell out of him. Was kicking the shit out of him and everything. Clive also goes by the crowd and moves to stop uh, to stop the matter. Uh, both see Seba. They move to help him out, right? But they they keep bumps into them, so they start beating the hell out of him too. <laughs> you ever seen that another teen movie mm-hmm. where like uh, Chris Evans' character helps to try to get the girl that he likes character? Yeah. And her brother's getting bullied, yeah. but like he actually punches Chris Evans, so Chris beats the hell out of him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, both, though, see Sebus move with skill and speed to resolve the matter in one punch. Because so you see him weave in and out of the crowd like with quickness that nobody has ever really paid attention to. Because you don't see him because he's like an afterimage. Girl. Uh, <laughs> uh, they uh, separately follow the butler into the alleyway where Climb enthusiastically asks Sebus for a quick lesson in strength after witnessing him recently. Sebus sees Climb as trustworthy and gives him a lesson. How to overcome fear of death. By flooding Climb's sense with the killing intent, Climb dodges at the last possible instance by overcoming his fear by thinking of Rainier, the princess. Brain, having witnessed this around the corner, is moved by Climb's ability to overcome intense fear and asks also to how to learn from the uh, how to learn this from Sebus. So he's training these two people apparently easily now. And it's like all it was like Sebus didn't even really do anything, just let out his murderous intent <laughs> since he's a level 100 butler. And all these people are like level like 20, 30, like nowhere even near him. However, the trio are beset by five assassins sent by succulent assassins, of which Sebus downs three in an instant. <laughs> uh, leaves two. Yeah. For, for the last two to be handled by Brain and Client. Because it's funny, because in the uh, in the uh, the anime, there's three assassins. They all throw daggers at Sebus. He catches them just between his fingers, <laughs> and then just holds them up. He's like, "Really? This?" And they're poisoned too. So it's like he doesn't even really try. Uh, with their attackers down, Sebus uses a skill to easily interrogate one of them and where to find Succulent in the Eighty Fingers. Uh, when we were talking about the uh, the battle maids and Sebus in our last video about that, uh, it's called uh, Palm of the Puppeteer, mm-hmm. where you can make him do whatever he wants to spill all the information, basically, and get anything that he wants from him. I want you to shove your old fist up your ass, and they would it's do like, it. No, please. <laughs> Uh, the trio moved together uh, out of uh, grown respect for each other and moved to destroy eight fingers in the capital of Riestes. Uh, they head to a succulent's brothel, the same place Sebus rescued Tuare from, the, where they, she was thrown out the back. Yeah. That's how we end episode eight. Going into episode nine, we have Soaring Sparks of Fire. So we have Sebus, Bran, and Climb arrive at the brothel and use two entryways, the front door to the main brothel and the side entrance to the underground storage area. Climb and Brain take the ladder door, while Sebus charges straight through the front. <laughs> Sebus forewarns the duo that, if needed, he will kill opposition inside if he is forced to. With the both of them understanding, they only ask that the A-Fingers leaders, Coco Doll and Succulent, be captured. Sebus easily removes the still door and knocks away the guards. So basically, he just, he knocks it, he like lifts the door out, puts it to the side and says, Oh, I'm sorry, it was, it was locked and kind of stubborn to move. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't even really try. He just moved it. 
Uh, let's see here. Uh, he knocks the steel door uh, away and the guards and comes across Constable Stefan Havash mercilessly assaulting a slave girl for his pleasure in a room. Damn it, Stefan Havash, you're one of the good guys. Yeah. Where he's punching her in the face while he fucks her. God, you're everything I wanted to be. Yeah. Sebus slaps him into a bloody state, just back and forth over and over and over while the guy's on his knees. It's like a brutal fucking episode. God dang. It is. And after the constable pleads for mercy, I named my first son after Stefan Savage. <laughs> what do I name him now? Uh, and after the constable's pleas for mercy and with money, Sebus concludes he is unworthy of life and kicks him in half. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Brain and Climb stop their opposition and locate a trap door, courtesy of items given to Climb by Gargaron. The, there are these bells that can do things. Like one bell, if he uh, rings it, it disarms traps and stuff like that. Kind of cool little uh, uh, adventurer items. Uh, leading to the underground storage. While Brain scouts further in, having Climb stand to watch. Cocodol and Succulent arrive by a hidden passage in front of the young warrior. Succulent uses his illusion magic to gravely injure Climb until Brain returns and defeats him. Uh, with his god slash technique. That's what he tried to use against uh, Shaltier, though. The god slash technique. Mm -hmm. The trio are, are successful in apprehending two of the eight fingers and return to their respective homes. Brain returns to Gazif's home and the two have dinner discussing Climb's progress and Shaltir by name. Sebus returns to the manor only for Solution to be in her Pleiades, Pleiades attire, her battle maid stuff now. Instead of as a noble woman, she's dressed in her full battle maid uh, shit. Hmm. Telling him Eins is in the next room waiting to speak with him. And that's the whole reason she's dressed the way she is now. Oh. Uh, Climb returns to Rainier, who is pleased he is safe. After Climb retires for the night, Rainier calls uh, in the maid. She sh uh, she knows is spying on her to tell her all about how amazing Climb was, only for to her to actually plan on killing the maid for disrespecting Climb within her earshot, revealing her obsessive love for him. So the princess loves Climb to like an obsessive, crazy level. Or she'll kill people. I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you just gotta calm down. It's not that serious, please. Uh, late at night, Zero gathers the remaining. I mean, hell yeah, like misery. I'm the one. I'm the. I'm the. Uh, what is it? I'm your number one fan. 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 <laughs> so then we have Zero gathering the remaining members of the Six Arms, which are basically the enforcement level of this crime syndicate. So you have the leaders called the Eight Fingers, and then you have the Six Arms. Which are their... So what is it like? One of them has two extra fingers? or <laughs> What real confuses the names? The eight fingers, the six arms. And they're going to kill Sebus, Climb, and Brain for opposing them. That's their plans anyway. We move into episode 10. Disturbance begins in the royal capital. So, Eins, actually Pandora's actor in disguise, which is one of the floor guardians that controls the, well, not floor guardians, but area guardians, mm -hmm. but uh, he's one of the extremely powerful beings from Nazarek, and he's also the one that gave Ainz uh, all the weapons uh, from the treasury to fight Shaltir in the last season. Uh, he's a uh, doppelganger, so he can change his appearance, and he can uh, impersonate any of the original Einzelgon uh Guild leaders, like the, the actual members, not the NPCs, but the uh, the actual players. So he's uh, impersonating Nines at this point. Uh, investigates Sebus's possible betrayal with Demiurge, the victim, and Kokaitis as witnesses. 
he orders Sebus to kill Tuare to confirm his loyalty. Sebus does, and having uh, his attack blocked by Kokaitis, is proven to be steadfast servant of Nazarek. So whenever Ayn says, okay, if you're truly loyal, kill her. And he winds up to smash the shit out of her. Jesus. But his hand is stopped by Kokaitis. Yeah, but still. Yeah. <laughs> like that's... He's like, bitch, boom. Well, she stood there and closed her eyes and she said, just do it. Like, she wasn't insulted. If she's, like, she, she's like, just do it. He's like, bat. And he this just fucking smashes the hell out of her. <laughs> With just that a blue, big blue hand coming to stop him. Where it's got like three fingers on it. Because <laughs> it's a gigantic insect hand. It's... Uh, after the real Ainz arrives, because they swap places with Pandora's actor at that point, because he didn't know if Sebus really was trying to betray, uh, trying to betray Nazarek, since we just had in the last season, uh, Shaltier being mind-controlled. So whatever he all, just trying to be sure. Kind of on edge or whatever, yeah. a little bit, where he's like, I don't know if it's true, <laughs> because I don't want to fucking die. <laughs> I bet not. <laughs> Uh, the Overlord hears Tuare's full name and realizes that she is the sister of Nina, the spellcaster from the Swords of Darkness that we seen last season. That little prostitute girl? No, the the girl that was part of um, the uh, the Swords of Darkness, the one that was killed by uh, that crazy bitch. Hmm. That took nameplates and stuff like yeah. that. The one that was uh, that everybody thought in that group was a, a boy when it turned out to be a girl. Hmm. This is her sister. Stuck. Oh, shit. Yeah, that nobody even knew about. Thus, he allows Sebus's request of having her as a provisional maid. In the royal palace, Rhaenyra and Blue Rose meet to discuss the raids on the Eight Fingers, but Marquis Raven and Prince Zanuck arrive with a solution to their lack of manpower. After a mild topic of Rhaenyra's true persona and her feelings for Klein, she reveals she has uh, damning intelligence on the royal and noble factions, and coerces Raven to lend his private army to their simultaneous raids on the Eight Fingers locations. He reluctantly agrees, and Zanuck reveals their eldest brother, Barbaro, has a hidden storehouse in the trade with Eight Fingers, so he's basically corrupted. Everyone's corrupted, brother. Yeah, even Stevan Frost. Not a player's name. <laughs> Stevan, uh, Stevan Havash. Stevan Havash. Thank you, bro. You were the other one that could stop the corruption, but you just, you just became it. Um, Rainier also reveals her ace against the syndicate, aside from Blue Rose's aid, is Gaza Stronoff. After a long day of acquiring material for Demiurge to feed his livestock and Arbalion, uh, his uh, sheep. Which are humans. Is it Arbion? Uh, Arbellion, I guess. Uh, A-R-B-E-L-I-O-N, basically. Hmm. Arbellion? Yeah. Uh, Sebbiths and Solution return to the manor to find Tuare missing and a note from the Six Arms challenging Sebbiths for her freedom. Solution reminds Sebbiths of Ainz's words and they message their master for a solution. Ainz, preoccupied as Momon elsewhere, relays to Albedo to send reinforcements. While an initially hesitant to aid a human, she relents and forces, uh, sends the forces for Demiurge to command on site to destroy the A-Fingers completely. Albedo, to herself, then thinks of the name Einzel Gone after the guild name to be ridiculous, preferring Momonga, as evident by his original player banner draped on the wall and the guild flag on the floor. Hmm. So you're kind of set up as if uh, she doesn't like the name Einzel Gone that he's taken, and she prefers his original name. 
but I don't think anything ever really comes of that. Uh, it's more of like just showing her feelings towards it, even though she loves him. Episode 11 uh, is titled Yaldabaoth. And this is a character from uh, Hebrewic Bible, so that's where they got this name. Uh, after Sebas departs to rescue Tuare from the Six Arms, Demiurge lays out the plan for his Operation Gehenna. Which is hell, basically. Operation Hell. Well, we just go in there, we beat him up, we leave. <laughs> and he explains this to the Pleiades, Mare, and Shaltier. Meanwhile, in the royal encampment, Climb and Brain team up with former adventurer Lockmire to raid one of the known Eight Fingers bases. He's basically like a, uh, a thief class character that you really don't pay attention I to. I love me some thieves. <laughs> uh, there, there they encounter Sebus, who was summoned to the same base as the trio to fight the Six Arms. When Sebus encounters four members of Six Arms, he takes a second to kill them and the surrounding customers. <laughs> What's the customer? Because <laughs> they're all there for, like, slave shit and everything. So uh, that's all of them. He's like, you're all dead. How about that? <laughs> I'm like, sir, I'm an undercover police officer. I'm here to bless this whole thing. You don't have to kill me. <laughs> Solution reports that Zero is not amongst the patrons. Elsewhere, at Hilma's residence, which is uh, one of the members of the Eight Fingers, the one that controls the drugs... This this uh, lady. This sure turned into the weirdest like uh, subplot for this series yeah. of high fantasy having like a gritty crime drama. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. So at, at her uh, estate, she wakes up to find her home encased in shrubbery, which is because of Mare. Mm-hmm. She encounters Mare, which she takes as a little girl, and then she corrects herself. I mean, little boy. Like she has enough intelligence to know the difference between the two. And uh, at this point, he asks her, is she the uh, the most important person in the residence? And she's like, yes. Because yeah. uh, she's going to lie at first and say no. But she's like, yes, yes, I am. He's like, ah, oh, thank God. And then he breaks her legs. <laughs> sir, do you own this house? Yes, sir, I do. Bam! <laughs> With a staff. God damn, he fucking cracks her fucking kneecaps. Yep. And he drags her away by the hair. Damn, I would be like, no, I do not own this. I rant. <laughs> Leaving Entoma to empty the manor. And she's the one of the battle maid that I was uh, talking about a while back that's uh, part insect, mm-hmm. where she uses bug insects and stuff like that as her weapons and shields and stuff. So he leaves her to clean up the manor, during the manor and kill the other people there. Uh, while Entoma is snacking on a human body part, Gagaron has a chance encounter with her and fights the bug Meg, thinking that she is part of the Eight Fingers as well. But she's not a weird shit going on. Yeah, because you have uh, Entima saying, can't we just uh, pretend that we've never seen each other? Like, she didn't want to get in trouble from Ainz or Sebus and get in trouble about not hurrying fast enough. So she tells this gigantic fucking warrior bitch, it's like, can we just act like we didn't see each other? And she's like, I can't stand people that uh, eat humans or monsters that eat humans or whatever. So, of course, she attacks her. Uh, Blue Rose members Tia and Evil Eye ar- uh, arrive too, and together they overpower and defeat Entima. We have Evil Eye using a spell that's like a pesticide to attack her. A little bit just a can of pesticide. It's kind of, yeah. <laughs> like, bitch, take this pepper spray to the face. You're like, oh! <laughs> yes. Uh, before the finishing blow, the bug maid is rescued by Yaldabaoth, which is Demiurge. No. With a mask on now. Because <laughs> this is his plan, his uh, plan Gehenna. Uh, and taken to safety. After Gagaran and Tia are killed by the demon's hellfire wall, 
An enraged evil eye charges at the demon, but is halted by the arrival of a Moan. So uh, at the end of this episode, you basically have uh, two swords land, and then, uh, or not land, but... Uh, Clash? No, I'm thinking of it differently, but uh, you have uh, Momon, which is Einzelgon, dressed in his black raven armor, where he falls out of the sky, lands between the two of them, points swords at both of them, and says, I just don't you as my enemy. Uh, Mexican standoff, huh? Yeah. Because he asks, who's my enemy at this point? Yeah. Uh, then we go into episode 12, the final batter, uh, the final battle of the disturbance is the title. So we have evil eye request Momon's help to defeat Yaldabaoth to which he obliges. Momon, which is, uh, Einst, proves himself to be Yaldabaoth's demiurge's equal while defending evil eye at the same time, which results in evil eye developing romantic feelings for Momon saying, oh my God, such a man. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Man, just dripping with Riz. I know. Yaldin Bailoth eventually leaves the fight, claiming to search for an item within the city, and that he will guard the region the item is in. While Evil Eye uh, wants to follow him, Momon decides not to, citing the reason as Yaldin Bailoth's restraining uh, during their fighting. She accidentally angers Momon and Nabe when she mentions how Gagaron, Tia, and herself nearly killed Entima which is one of the battle maids, obviously. And it kind of pisses him off a little bit. Like, he, she did make it out, though. She, she escaped. Like, he had to kind of calm himself because it was starting to piss him off because <laughs> it's one of his people. Meanwhile, Bla uh, Brain, Climb, and Lockmire are escorting Tuare out uh, whenever they're encountered by Zero, one of the uh, six arms, uh, who challenges Brain to a fight. Together, Lockmire and Klein managed to defeat uh, Succulent, disguised as Tuare. So the person they were leading out the entire time was never Tuare to begin with. It was Succulent, the one that Klein's already fought once. But he uses illusion magic, so they thought it was her. Uh -huh. uh, while Brain and Zero proved to be evenly matched, uh, Sebus, after rescuing the real Tuare, wanders in and discovers the fight. To the disbelief of Zero, Sebus states that the six arms were all killed. Because he killed them all. <laughs> he abandons his fight with Brain and unleashes his strongest attack on Sebus, who takes it without flinching at all, and kills Zero with a single drop kick to the head. A drop kick. Yes. Of all the things. Cracks him in the head. A drop kick. <laughs> yep. Uh, Sebus leaves uh, leaving with Toire, but promises to return the debt he owes to Climb and Brain for their assistance in her rescue. A circle of fire created by Yaldabaoth emerges within the city and is seen by everyone in that town. Princess Rainier arranges for the adventurers and the soldiers to enter the ring and kill the demons present inside, while Climb, uh, Brain, and Lockmire attempt to save the citizens. Momon, Nabe, and Evil Eye are to move into the center of the fight with Yaldabaoth. It is revealed that she intends to use the adventurers and soldiers as cannon fodder while Momon's group moves to kill Yaldabaoth. So basically, she's willing to sacrifice everybody just to kill the demon. <laughs> it turns out later that she knew all about it, though. <laughs> she knew things were going to happen. Oh. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, episode 13 is called The Ultimate Trump Card. Uh, the Adventure Coalition moves in to rescue the captured civilians in the residential sector, while the Royal Guards hold back a wave of demons until Momon, Nabe, and Evil Eye arrive. Brain notices a uh, disguised Chaltier and challenges her in order to give his comrades time to escape. Brain manages to cut Chaltier's fingernail, 
the entire out of, out of everything he cuts her fingernail hmm. in this fight oh uh, well it breaks her nail or it just clips the tip oh that would fucking hurt though it's painful <laughs> not even down far just the, like a long fingernail just getting the tip removed that's what he does to her with a fourfold slash of light technique uh, and happily retreats while she is distracted, saying, I clipped her down. I got that bitch. I'm out of here. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, as he runs, Shaltier notices Clym and Lockmire, leaving them behind after remembering the order Demiurge gave her, which is don't kill anybody. Uh, the three find a warehouse of civilians and are faced with the people pleading for them to be taken to their loved ones, confirming the princess's theory of family, family, God, family separation. As Momon, Nabe, and Evil Eye encounter Yaldabaoth, they see five masked demon maids, which are the battle maids, basically. Mm-hmm. We have Alpha, we have the uh, Delta, we have all the battle maids, but they all wear masks right now, so that way nobody knows who they are. The exception is Entima and uh, Nabe, because Nabe's with, uh, with Momon at this point, yeah. and then Entima's been injured, so without those two. Uh, while the female adventurers handle the maids, Molon battles Yaldabaoth. Lacus fights off wave after wave of demon hordes, which is the leader of Blue Rose. Uh, <laughs> uh, she's fighting off all these waves while support mages heal wounded adventurers until Gazif arrives with the king's personal army. Elsewhere, Demiurge and Ains pretend to fall into a building so that way they can just talk. Like, they, then they go walk. Oh, they're like fake fighting? Yes. Yeah, right. But they're like using powerful attacks that would kill anybody else around them. But since they're both level 100, it's not hurting them at all. And so they they go to this uh, this building to actually talk, basically, in private, in the in an abandoned building to discuss Demiurge's full plan. Lastly, all blame is to be laid on the Aldabaoth in order to boost Momon's fame. So they're gonna. They created this character of Yaldabaoth to take all the blame for the damage and the killed people and all that kind of stuff, just to boost Momon's name in this world, which is really fucking like kind of dark if you think about it. They've killed how many people and just the. It will raise your prestige at this point. Uh, as Evil Eye fights, a hidden Operel uh, calmly chats with her three sisters behind a wall because <laughs> she acts like she's fighting three other people and she's only fighting. She leaves Evil Eye to fight uh, Alpha, Yuri Alpha, <laughs> which is hilarious. Um, as Mare gives the earthquake signal, the maids return to their intended roles. Evil Eye rejoins with Nabe, and Yaldabaoth is thrust into the scene by Momon. Basically, he's like thrown through the ground where he slides. <laughs> Yaldabaoth calls for a retreat, and the disturbance comes to an end. The adventurers and the soldiers gather and hail Momon as hero of the kingdom. Elsewhere, Aura captures the Romanian Eight Fingers leaders and makes them servants of Eindelgon. So they're taking this uh, corrupt syndicate and basically using them to Nazarek's benefit. So just another faction that they put under the thumb. Yep. Now, now where are the drug dealers? <laughs> you go around here. <laughs> they got poppy fields all over the fucking yep. Nazarek. Uh, after some resistance, Hilma urges the dark elf twins to let her make them loyal out of fear of returning to Kyohuko. That's where they send this lady Hilma to. That roach king, mm-hmm. they sent her there to get eaten uh. and restored over and over and over and over and over. To where she won't, you learn later on in uh, later seasons that she won't even touch food. 
really at all after that because the fear of those roaches. Oh. Which is really fucked up. Yeah, how the fuck does she eat then? <laughs> she eats literally. Absolute, like, yeah, like, absolute, pure starvation. She can't yeah. go choice. Yep. Aura allows it, affirming they now control half of the country. In the Baharuth Empire, we meet uh, Fluter Paradigm, who is informing Emperor Jerkni Rune Farlord Elnix. God dang, bro. Anymore? You got any more fucking titles? <laughs> You've got a long fucking name. While investigating the Einzelgone, he concludes the magic caster is greater or than or equal to his level of magic power, which we learn later on he's nowhere near Einzelgone's power. Uh, while wishing to meet Eins personally, Jerkneve orders Fluter to investigate uh, investigate adamantite adventurer Momon as well. So he's wanting this mage to this like high ranking mage to investigate both Eins and Momon, even though they're the same person. So. They think that they're two separate people, though. You have the Black Raven hero, Momon, and then you have the great magic caster, Eindelgon. You have this guy looking like, like, uh, Al from Death Note. Like, I can figure this out. <laughs> and that's how we end the entire season, is going to the Baharuth Empire. Baharuth. Mm-hmm. So we have, uh, we have the kingdom, and then we have Baharuth. So you have, like, half a country they already took over? Basically. Jesus. But not even really trying. But, like, underground, so it's not well-known to everybody that they've taken it over. You know, they've got the entire underground system taken over. Just by taking over the eight fingers. And fucking them up. The eight fingers? Mm-hmm. It's a weird name. Very much so. Is there a reason for it, or is it just eight the eight fingers? Oh, because there's eight people. Okay. So they're the eight pe- people that have their fingers and everything. Oh, that's clever. Yeah. What are the six arms, then? They're the arms people, like... One that is fight people? Yeah. They're the arms division of the A fingers. So they got a coochie division that does the brothel stuff. <laughs> well, his name is Coco Doll. <laughs> and he's a little on the. Uh, we'll, we'll say the the. No, I can't tell you. <laughs> get demonetized in a heartbeat. <laughs> they don't. You would know it if you see it though. You'll know what I'm talking uh, about. But yeah, that's uh, season two. Uh, next week we'll do season three. And uh, after that, season four, we'll be done with the entire series until a new one comes out. And at least you're... We still got in that one piece. <laughs> every day, every day, every week. <laughs> but anything else to add or any questions? Mm-hmm. Cool. We will talk to you guys on the next one then. They got them sticky fingers and everything. <laughs>